We welcome those who join us this morning by uh, way of streaming. We miss seeing you, but we're glad that we can connect this way. And of course, we're glad to see all of you here this morning. Normally, I would begin a message with what I would attempt, at least, to make a, a thought-provoking, captivating introduction that would make you want to hear what was going to come next. It would sort of put you on the edge of your seat so that you'd see there's a reason for me to continue listening and not just check out over the next half hour. Normally, I would try to pique your interest. Today, I'm going to presume on it, um, which means I'm going to assume that you're already interested in what comes next. And the reason that I want to do that is because there's, well, there's an old country song that puts it pretty well. It says, we've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. I want to cover a lot of territory this morning, and I'm eager to lay what I would consider to be sort of like a third foundational and a last foundational brick in our study of the book of Proverbs so that then we can get on to looking at some of the individual Proverbs and see how they might apply. So last week we looked at Proverbs 9 and we, we spent time with the woman wisdom and the woman folly. We understood that the woman wisdom represents our God and his righteous ways. The woman folly, all the enticements of the enemy seeking to pull us away. Uh, from our God. Those are the two main characters that we see in the book of Proverbs. And then there are these three recurring characters. You might call them a supporting cast, so to speak. Each is defined, actually, by their response to the other two. And these are the wise, the simple, and the fool. So we're going to spend our time this morning looking at the wise, the simple, and the fool. What the Bible, how the Bible describes these. We're going to move fairly quickly. If we were in uh, a time where we could pass out handouts, we would certainly have done that because we're going to cover so much territory. Those of you who are flipping pages, the Lord bless you. Try to keep up as we go. It's going to be a little tough. Those of you who have your electronic devices are somewhat of an advantage here with just a little point click. Um, if you want these scriptures and you're not able to get them all, just see me and I'll send you a copy of the message, and you'll have them all right there in, in hard copy. So we are going to, it's going to feel a little bit like you're drinking out of a fire hose this morning, uh, but it's essential that we get some of this down, okay? We're going to look at a few of the verses now from Proverbs that teach the characteristics of the wise person. The one who chooses wisdom in Proverbs is called the wise person, also called a man of righteousness, man of knowledge. We're going to begin with Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. What that tells us is that the wise person appreciates reproof. A wise person welcomes correction. Proverbs 9, 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. That tells us that the wise person is not a know-it-all. The wise person realizes there's still much to learn. Another proverb says that the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. We would say that as Christians, to be wise is to be a lifelong learner. We're constantly being transformed by the Word of God and constantly seeking after it. So the wise person does that, receives instruction, and becomes even wiser. Proverbs 10.8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The wise person can take orders. A wise person is willing to submit to the commands, to the laws of God. A wise person will, will sit under the word of God and not try to come over the top of it, receiving God's commandments. 
Proverbs 10, 14. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. That is, the wise person values knowledge, and the wise person stores up knowledge, and then the wise person sort of deploys that knowledge at the proper time and the proper occasion. He reserves what he has to say for the right time and the right place and the right person, and that, in fact, is wisdom. Just because you know something doesn't mean you have to tell everybody all that you know. The wise person knows when to speak, and the wise person lays up that kind of knowledge. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So here we have it again. A wise person is willing to listen to advice. A wise person is open to hearing from others. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A wise person is careful with his or her words, uses those words thoughtfully, purposefully, uses those words to help another and not to hurt another, understands what we're told in Ephesians, that not, we should not let any unwholesome or corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only that which is good for the edification of others. And a wise person is thoughtful and considerate and sensitive and doesn't use words to harm. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. In other words, if somebody's really wise, that wisdom can, can be shared. That wisdom can be caught. That wisdom can be taught. That wisdom can be modeled. This, by the way, is why us parents and grandparents are always concerned with who our kids are hanging out with. Because it's just this natural tendency that we emulate the people we spend time with. And so the Bible here is saying, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So if you want to become wise, then find some wise people and spend some time with them. Um, Proverbs 14, 16. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. So one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. This means a little bit more than a wise person is able to discern, say, a road sign that says danger ahead or something like that. It has an implication of, of reverence, of moral reverence. Uh, a wise person understands what is holy and gravitates toward that, but also recognizes quickly what is unholy, what is evil, what is wrong, and turns away uh, from that sort of folly. Okay, what's our next one? Proverbs 21, 11. When a scoffer is punished, the simple becomes wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. So the wise person gains knowledge through observation and uh, instruction. Proverbs 21, 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. What that's telling us is that a wise person is a good steward of the possessions that he or she has earned or accumulated or been given, is frugal with his or her possessions. Doesn't just blow it, as some people would say, or some would say like, uh, you know, blow through money, or we got a hole in our pocket. Um, a wise person stores things up. Proverbs 29.8, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. We're going to spend a little bit more time on this verse in particular in a couple weeks when we get to the issue of anger, the issue of wrath, what the Proverbs tells us about that. 
And it's a very uh, apropos verse, isn't it, given that we live in a country where some of our cities have been aflame for some time. Uh, but for today, our purposes for today are to understand that wise people don't accommodate anger. In fact, wise people turn away from wrath and try to find ways to diffuse anger. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. I know we're all wired a little bit differently, and some of us wear our hearts on our sleeves, and, and others do not. Others are much more guarded and keep things close to the chest. So this isn't exactly talking about that, but I think it is talking about that idea of you kind of always know where a fool is. A fool is just going to give you a perspective, a full vent. This is what I think. This is what I feel. Uh, whereas a wise person might have an initial response to something, a thought or a feeling, but also then say, well, let me, let me run that through a few filters here to make sure that I'm on the right track before I say anything. Okay, our next verse. Or is that it? That's it for those guys. A wise person, then, if we were to sort of distill it and, and we say, what is a primary characteristic of a wise person? I would suggest that it would be humility that a wise person is humble. A wise person is willing to learn. A wise person is willing to hear. A wise person is genuinely interested in being considerate of others, giving preference to others, giving an apt word when the time is right. A wise person exercises discretion and restraint and true consideration. And that if there is a telltale sign of a wise person, then it would be his or her teachable spirit. A wise person is teachable. A wise person is not a know-it-all. But a wise person is willing to learn, is willing to change. Now, the second recurring character in the book of Proverbs is what the writer terms the simple. I've alluded to this twice already in two sermons, and here it is again. I have to say it. Simple does not necessarily carry a negative connotation. The simple are neither wise nor foolish. They are capable of doing really smart things, but they're just as capable of doing really stupid things. Sometimes in the book of Proverbs, the simple are grouped in with the foolish, but definitely not always. What the simple have that the foolish lack is teachability. The simple are in the process of being formed. So when we read about the simple in the book of Proverbs, we're reading about unformed people. We're reading, one, one commentator uh, defines the simple as the beginner who lacks commitment. And another says a modern word that describes the simple-minded is immature. We get those concepts. The purpose of Proverbs is to get those people developing along a mature or a right path. Last week, chapter 9, we saw both the woman wisdom and the wisdom folly extend their invitations to the simple. Verse 4 and verse 16. Whoso is simple, him that wants understanding, let him turn in here. Him that wants understanding, wanteth understanding, translates literally, he who wants a heart. We're talking about the simple as the one who lacks or the one who is unstable or can be feeble and fickle in the faith, one who is easily distracted, one who might be led away, lacking in principled resolve. So let's look at a few uh, verses from Proverbs that speak about the simple. Proverbs 1.32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. This really follows up on Proverbs. Nine, where we talked that if a person chooses the way of folly and departs the way of wisdom, then it ends up in death. The simple are killed by their turning away. Proverbs 7, 7. And I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man 
lacking in sense, which is what you'd expect in a person who is immature, right? You don't expect people. In fact, it's one of the problems. We kind of expect too much out of our kids in terms of maturity, that they should know things. But they have to learn these things. They have to come to grips with them on their own. You would expect a young person to be somewhat immature and lacking in sense. That, that's an observation. It's not a criticism. If you read through the rest of Proverbs 7, though, you'll see that that lack of sense led to some pretty poor choices. Proverbs 15, uh, 14, 15. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his step. So that's just telling us that the simple are gullible. The simple person is pretty easily influenced. Proverbs 19, 25. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. Proverbs 21, 11 uh, conveys the same idea. Simple are teachable. The simple can learn. And Proverbs 22, 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So the simple don't always recognize the pitfalls that are in front of them. They're growing up and they're learning, but because they can't always discern danger, they're inclined to fall into these pits, and then when they do that, they come to harm. Now, if we're going to summarize the simple, what the Bible in Proverbs talks about is the simple, we would say they are impressionable. We would say that they are unlearned um, when it comes to the ways of faith, that they are in need of help, that they are in need of direction. This, um, this is a pretty big category when you stop to think about it. If for, for once, we could say, well, okay, the simple are the unbelievers. They haven't come to faith, and that's sure. That's people who, who haven't come to understand the Lord in his ways. But then also there are the new believers, people who, who have an earnest, honest desire to know Jesus. They have accepted him as their Lord. They want to follow him, but they just don't know how. So they're simple. They're impressionable. They are unlearned in the ways of the faith. And sadly, there's another category, I think. Um, and that could be people who have proclaimed to be saved for some time, have sat in church for 30, 40, 50 years, but just haven't bothered to listen to anything. And so they haven't, they haven't grown, right? The writer of Hebrews talks about that. It hadn't been 30 or 40 years, but nonetheless, to his audience, he says, you should be teachers of this by now. You should be longing for meat, but you're still stuck in the milk. Not saying they're not Christian, not saying they're not saved, but saying they haven't really actively engaged in this process of growth or transformation. So they remain kind of in that unformed, immature. They may be chronically, chronologically older, but... but Faith-wise, they're just immature and in need of uh, some intervention here. If, uh, if there is a uh, characteristic then of these simple-minded, it would be that they are impressionable, gullible to a degree, uh, in need of help, in need of instruction, but they are teachable. There is hope. Uh, let's take a closer look at some of the characteristics of the person the Bible calls the fool. Uh, before we do that, let me tell you, this has little to do with intelligence or skill or talent. Fool is a designation in Scripture that relates to one's response to wisdom. It has nothing to do with your SAT scores or what you've accomplished in this world. It's, it's really about one's response to wisdom, which uh, is, is truly a response to God. How do you respond to God? Proverbs 12:15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. A fool believes that his opinion is the correct one. Now, the fool might be right. His opinion could be the correct one. 
But the thing about the fool is he always thinks his opinion is the correct one. And he rarely, if ever, listens to the counsel of others. Proverbs 10.8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. So uh, a fool is so busy talking that she or he doesn't really hear or receive orders. Uh, doesn't ingest the laws of God. Isn't really willing to submit to those laws or sit under them. Eventually, this fool suffers for it, comes to ruin. I think the message paraphrase says, will come unglued. Um, another translation says, will fall. We know that pride goes before a fall. Proverbs 10:18. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. A fool utters slander. Slander is one of those sins of the tongue that we are told to avoid and put away. Peter talks about this in his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, that we ought to put away slander. And what is slander? Well, slander is a sin of the tongue that a fool engages in that could include things like backbiting, giving false reports, um, speaking negatively about somebody with no real justification, defaming a person, gossip, those fall into that wide category of slander. Proverbs 10, 23. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Doing wrong, stirring things up is pleasure for a fool. Strife is sport for the fool. Controversy is fun. The fool has no conscience about stirring up mischief, and somehow he gets pleasure out of doing that. Proverbs 12, verse 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. A fool is easily offended. And when that fool is offended, he makes his offense known to all. He's quick to anger, and he has no reason to hide his anger. He's not able to ignore an insult. The fool takes things personally that are not personal and cannot overlook things that are. The scripture teaches us that when we are wronged or insulted, there may be a good strategy. It's called love covers a multitude of sins. People say things they don't mean all the time, if we were held accountable for every careless word that we uttered uh, in the moment, that would be a scary concept. And so there's, there's a, a truth to that, right? Love covers a multitude of sins, that we give somebody the benefit of the doubt. But the fool has a hard time doing that. The vexation of a fool is known at once. If you've offended a fool, he's going off like a Roman candle, and you're going to know it. All right? Proverbs 13, 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. In a word, we could say... A fool is shameless. A fool doesn't really care what you think of him or her or what they're doing. They're going to do what they're going to do, and they're going to say something like, I just got to be me. A fool has no issue advertising uh, his or her ignorance, has no problem putting their silliness on display. That's what they do. They flaunt their folly. Proverbs 14, 7. <laughs> Leave the presence of a fool. For there you do not meet words of knowledge. I like that the Bible understates things sometimes. You've got to read them two or three times. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Which is a nice way of saying, get away from idiots. Because they don't tell you the truth. And it, I mean that right? There you do not meet words of knowledge. You don't. You meet silly, stupid coarse, ridiculous, asinine things coming from the mouth of a fool. And the Proverbs is trying to say, don't spend a lot of time in the company of this person because, you know, the company you keep, it's 
going to influence you. It's not going to be good for you. So uh, that's 14.7. Enough said. Proverbs 14.16. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. And so here's the, the, the classic idea of the fool is the one who says to you, hold my beer and watch this. You know, what's coming next is not going to be pretty. The wise see danger and they turn away from it. The fool barges in and is completely overconfident and bad things happen. Proverbs 17.10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. What that tells us is that a fool is pretty much impervious to correction. Doesn't want to hear a reproof or a rebuke and just doesn't receive correction really what that boils down to. And some of you, I don't know how all of you grew up, but occasionally there were a few moments I think my parents tried to beat something out of me. And, uh, you know, I, my mother, she would be, she'd be like, I did not. She, she, I'm going to have to do a disclaimer next week, especially since this one's going to get posted. Hi, Mom. Oh, gracious. Stick to the script. Just stick to the script. You cannot beat foolishness out of a fool, is what that's saying. It doesn't matter what you do. When somebody's a knucklehead, they're a knucklehead. And it's not going to change until God does something. We're going to get to that in a few minutes, by the way. Proverbs 17, 12. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Wow. This is one of those, so it, we tend to think about fool as just plain foolish, right? As, well, mildly amusing, this is the person who's always kind of getting into it, and this is comic entertainment, comic value for the whole family, or whatever. But this tell, gives us a, really a different angle about foolishness, and that it is completely serious and dangerous. So it's not just something that should amuse us. It's something that we really have to be careful to avoid, because it's, it's dangerous. And what a great image a she-bear robbed of her cubs especially for us living in Maine because there's really nothing out there in the woods that's going to bother you even a moose as big as it is is going to run away from you unless you happen to get between him and his date in October but other than that if you find yourself in between a bear a she-bear a mama bear and those cubs you are in danger that is not the place to be in the Maine woods and 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 folks know that a, a female bear, as big as, as, as big as they are, is exceptionally fast and incredibly powerful. And what a great proverb for us here living in the woods of Maine. This is just telling us, don't, don't minimize the havoc that is wreaked by a fool. And don't pretend that it can't hurt you or that it's, that it's okay to be in the presence of it because it absolutely is not. The fool is dangerous. Proverbs 17, 24. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. I, I got to look into this one a little bit more because I wonder if this doesn't have that uh, connotation of the dreamer, you know, the person who's always sort of just kind of fantasizing about what's out there instead of dealing with what's right here. But there's also just a practical element to this, I think. And those of you um, who are like me, not good finders, like my wife says to me, you're not a good finder. She's telling the absolute truth. I'm a horrible finder. I ask her where things are when they're right there. And she just rolls her eyes. It's right there. 
because I'm a bad finder. Okay, but this guy, this the discerning sets his face towards wisdom, sets his face to finding wisdom, will find it. But the eyes of a fool are everywhere. So that old adage, if it had been a bear, it'd bit you. You know, if it had been a snake, it'd bit you. Wisdom is everywhere to be found. There's no excuse for a fool not to be able to put his hands on wisdom. He can put it on, on it right here. It's right there. It's never far from us, is it? Most of us have several of these in our home. There's no real excuse except that his eyes aren't really looking for wisdom. It looks everywhere else except for where he will find it, and that is the fool. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Commentator Albert Barnes talks about this. He said, this is another form of egotism. In understanding self-knowledge, the fool finds no pleasure, but self-assertion, talking about himself and his own, own opinions, that is his highest joy. Proverbs 18.6. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. I love Proverbs. Don't you love Proverbs? Proverbs is so cool. It's so pertinent. Uh, the King James talks about a fool's lips here as being uh, contentious, I think, inviting or enter into contention. That a fool is contentious. A fool by nature is quarrelsome. By his words, he stirs up conflict, and he invites a fight. And he says things that make you want to punch him right in the nose. That's what a fool does. Proverbs 26.6. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. So this, this is a good example of Proverbs that don't immediately probably make sense to us. We don't really ever send messages by people anymore. We pick up our phone and we send a quick text or we uh, send an email or whatnot. But it wasn't always that way. A lot of times people had to send emissaries, ambassadors, messengers. And really what this is saying is that if you're going to send a message by the hand of a fool, you're in trouble. It, 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 it may not get there, and if it does get there, it's not going to be delivered well. And drinks violence, not only that, but it could be harmful to you. Really what that's saying is, if you are relying on a fool to do your bidding, if you let somebody who's a fool do things in your name, under your authority, that's going to come back and bite you. That's going to harm you. You cannot trust a fool because fools are not trustworthy. Proverbs 27.3. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty. But a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Uh, putting up with the stubborn annoyance of a fool is a heavy thing. Uh, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is, weighs on you more than those things will. Uh, Albert Barnes calls this the intolerable load of unreasoning passion. <laughs> the intolerable load of unreasoning passion. Proverbs 27:22. Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. All right? We don't, we don't do this too much anymore. We're not crushing. Uh, we're not using a mortar and a pestle, and we're not separating grains and refining things like that. But here's, here's what it means. It means that a, a fool and his folly are not easily parted. They're not soon parted. You can, you can do a lot, and it's not going to change a lot. Again, we're going to get to a better answer here in a few minutes. Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And that's not, to, that's not like just saying that you can't ever trust in your own mind. 
course you have to trust in your own mind what's good, what's right. You're discerning all the time. But if you're trusting in your own mind as the end all, uh, we've already covered this really. I've got an opinion and it's the right one. And it's always the right one. And I'm always going to trust in my own mind. And, and that person is in danger. That person is a fool. That person won't listen to anybody else. And Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Right again, the King James says, uttereth all his mind. Um, I, I was reminded of this and uh, of Nehemiah when he, when he prayed to God and when he got convicted about what the Lord wanted him to do and he got a message from God. And he left and he went to Jerusalem to begin the work on the walls that he didn't just spout that out to everybody. He kind of kept that hidden in his heart. And uh, he did a survey, he did an assessment before he really shared the plan. God had given it to him, but he didn't give full vent to any, everything that was in his spirit. He quietly held it back. Uh, and so there's wisdom there. You, just because you know something again doesn't mean you have to convince everybody how much you know. Uh, you can hold it back. So that's a lot of scriptures, right? And... Um, but that's not all of them, not by a long stretch. Yet if there is a dominant characteristic in the person that the Bible calls the fool, I would suggest that that would be pride. I would say that it's pride that kind of carries along the fool. Uh, this person has an overblown sense of self-importance, a misplaced self-confidence, a lack of awareness in how she or he impacts others. That manifests itself often in careless words, in reckless words and deeds. And if there is a telltale sign of a fool from a biblical perspective that it might boil down to this, that would be his or her unwillingness to be taught. And a fool is com just completely unteachable. And that person, therefore, is resistant to personal change. So we're... Why, you might be asking, and might have been asking all along, why do we need to go through all this? Why do we need to know about the wise, the simple, and the fool? Well, I'm going to give you four, four reasons. As you read through Proverbs, you're going to come across these characters. It's always a good idea when you study to define the term. So those, what we've done basically this morning is define the term. So now as you continue through the book of Proverbs, you understand what it's talking about, who it's talking about when it talks about the wise, the simple, and the fool. These uh, are not just isolated little words. They are terms that the writer uses and they have meaning. Second of all, these um, characters, the wise, the simple, and the fool, are not fictional characters. This is not a figment of a writer's imagination. These are people. These are people that are out in the world. And you're going to encounter them. And you ought to know how to understand them. Because if you can under know how to understand them, you can know how to interact with them, or whether you even should. Now, you and I have categories already that we put people in, if we want to be honest. But some of you are like, oh, no, I never do that. I always tell, tell you, if you ride down my camp road with me for 20 minutes, you'll know what category I put people in. You know, I mean, I'm sad to say it, but they don't wave to me. What kind of person is this? Pull over. Spawn of Satan. Right? I mean, we do that. We have to fight that. That's part, that's part of our natural tendency. The, the thing is, I can make a snap judgment about somebody, as silly as that is, driving down a camp road. That could be completely wrong. Like, completely couldn't be more wrong. My categories are not always necessarily right. But God's are. 
And so God has shown us how to understand certain individuals, and he's given us throughout this book, you'll see, strategies for dealing with those particular individuals. So we need to know God's categories. We need to know how God perceives people. Thirdly, if we can understand those terms and what they mean, or at least what they look like, or what they imply from God's perspective, then you and I stand a chance of getting a better handle on ourselves. So whenever we read a book of the Bible, what we're doing is trying to understand more about our God. He has revealed himself in his word. So that's the first thing that we're about. Is that what is this telling me about the Lord? But beyond that, we're almost always able to find ourselves in the scripture, and we're meant to find ourselves there. We just studied the parables, and we learned that. You're to find yourself in the parables. Where do you fit? Same with Proverbs. As you read through Proverbs, do you see yourself? Where do you find yourself? What category do you think, according to God's word, not according to your opinion, according to God's word, what category are you in? Now, naturally, we all want to put ourselves in the wise person category, right? I'm the wise guy. I'm the wise man. I've seen it. I've done it. I'm there. Well, good. That's a desirable answer. That's, that's the correct answer. That's the, right? that's the preferred answer. That's how we're supposed to be. But are we always wise? And, of course, few want to admit to being simple because we see that it was such a negative connotation. We really don't like to be weak. We don't like to not know things. At least I know I don't like saying I don't know. I don't like not knowing. But the truth is there are a lot of things that I don't know. There are probably a lot of things that you don't know. Puts me in the category of simple, unformed, immature, still growing, still learning. Tremper Longman III has written a book called How to Read Proverbs, and in it he suggests this. He says, to read this book correctly, we must all, men and women, young and old, place ourselves in the position of that unformed audience. We need to make a decision, follow wisdom or follow folly. Isn't that something? We should all put ourselves in the position of that unformed audience. That's why there's value, again, remember, to read the Proverbs slowly. Don't just skip over them and go, well, that's a cute little saying. But to read it slowly and, and read it again and again and sit with it and say, okay, what would that have, how would that have spoken to that first hearer, that first reader? And what does that say to me? Put ourselves in the position of that unformed audience. We want to approach uh, God's word, whether we consider ourselves simple or not. We want to still approach the word with honesty and with openness. And finally, there's this undesirable character in Proverbs, the one who chooses folly, known as the fool. And I've got to tell you that the, the, the true fool is hopeless. And uh, that's a bold statement. But the true fool is hopeless. Because Scripture tells us in Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So follow with me. Since all wisdom comes from God, and no one can be wise apart from God, from a biblical perspective, not a politically correct one, a biblical perspective, the one who claims there is no God has no chance of being anything but a fool. The scripture teaches that the one who chooses to live apart from God will die apart from God and will spend eternity in hell. The scripture teaches that choices have consequence, that you absolutely can reject wisdom. You can receive folly. But that folly is going to kill you. The only way for a fool to become wise is to have a change of heart about the reality of God, about the existence of God. This is the only way for a fool to become wise. Right? Remember, we've gone over this a couple times already. The fear of the Lord, that is the reverence of God, is the beginning of wisdom. 
So how does one, the question is, how does one reverence or come to reverence God? And we begin simply by realizing that he exists. And I know you're sitting in church, so that's not a revelation to you. But maybe you know a lot of people who question whether or not God even exists. And I'm, I'm going to say that increasingly you're going to run into those people. We are truly in a post-Christian era, right? So how does one come to reverence God is first by recognizing that God exists, by admitting that he exists. That's where we start. There is a God. Now, if you can get there, there is a God, what do you do with that? That's the next question. But Hebrews 11:6. without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then we grow in reverence as we come to know him. The more we know the Lord, the more we understand him, the easier it is to bow the knee. This is an amazing, awesome, beautiful, gracious, forgiving, merciful, kind, powerful God. There is no God like him. We have to come to know him. We can't reverence what we don't know. How do we come to know him? Here's the fourth and final point of why, why I'm talking about the wise, the simple, and the fool. And here's the good news. This is how we come to know him. God has made himself known. God has made himself known. And the way to know God is through his son, Jesus Christ. God has made himself known in Jesus Christ, who came into this world so that we would understand who he is and what he is like. He came here to save us, the Son of God, representing God, visible representation of the invisible God. And the invitation of Jesus is blessedly simple. Not a lot of hoops to jump through. Not a lot of things to do. Jesus says very simply, come. Come, follow me. That's what he says, right? Repent. Come, follow me. The kingdom is at hand. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's God's promise. But 11.29, Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you. And you remember the, the second part of this? Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn. That's what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And that's the hope for a fool, right? To follow Jesus and to finally begin to learn. If you will make your way to Jesus with a willingness to learn, you will be saved and you will find rest for your weary and heavy-laden soul. The invitation of Christ. Come to him, and the wise will be made wiser, the simple will be made wise, and the fool will forsake his folly and find his feet finally on the pathway of life. I want to close with these words from Ray Orland from his commentary, Wisdom That Works. It's a pretty lengthy uh, quotation, so bear with me. But it's, he says it so much better than I can, so I'm just going to read it. How can we choose him as the passion of our lives when we are passionate for lesser things, even wrong things? How can we jump out of a hole that has no bottom? There is only one way. We hear the gospel again. Jesus Christ loves you. Not the rehabilitated you, but the real you, down in that abyss. 
and he welcomes you to himself. Charles Haddon Spurgeon helped us see the grace of Christ more clearly when he said, The gate of mercy is opened, and over the door it's written, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Between that word save and the next word sinners, there's no adjective. It does not say penitent sinners, awakened sinners, sensible sinners, grieving sinners, or alarmed sinners. No, it only says sinners. And I know this, that when I come, I come to Christ today. I dare not come as a conscious sinner or an awakened sinner, but I have to come still as a sinner with nothing in my hands. For your sake, Jesus lived a perfect life. He chose wisdom every time and against intense seduction. Then Jesus died on the cross, a death he did not deserve, a sacrificial death for the stupidity of the rest of us. That is what the gospel announces. If you will receive this Jesus by mere faith, he will give you his perfect record as a gift. He wants your conscience to be happy and free. Why? Because in the strength of being forgiven, you will change. Listen, in the strength of being forgiven, you will change. C.S. Lewis wrote to a friend, You write much about your own sins. Beware, lest humility should pass over into anxiety or sadness. It is bidden us to rejoice and always rejoice. Jesus has canceled the handwriting which was against us. Lift up your hearts. Jesus has canceled the handwriting that was against us. Lift up your heart. Knowing that Jesus covers your sin when you deserve to be exposed, but he accepts you and rejoices over you. That stunning new awareness will lift your heart and take you further with him than you have ever dreamed of going. His love creates your wise choice, moment by moment. Look up to him by faith. See his love for you right now and receive it. Then, whatever might be your next step of obedience, that bold new step that maybe you've been putting off, you will take it. You'll be able to choose, and you will choose wisely to the praise of the glory of his grace.